Someone came online when we put the advertisement up and said, why Protestant? And it seems to have become some sort of a, a bad word. And listen, brothers and sisters, it's because of history. It's what it is. It was protesting against the doctrines, the false doctrines of Rome. And that's why it was the martyrdom of the reformers who held to the word of the truths of the word of God. That's why it's called that. Can I say before we start even going any further? uh, Unfortunately, in Northern Ireland, we find that when we talk about Protestant, we have people who say, claim to be Protestant. And they protest against nothing for they don't know the scriptures. They don't know the word of God. They don't know the Christ of the scriptures. They know nothing of God and they're not saved. In fact, they're nothing. They're not even Protestant. There's cultural Protestantism. But what we're bringing to you is biblical Protestantism. Biblical. And so we find that there are those who would say they're Protestant and know not Christ. They're as lost as a goose in a storm. They're as lost as a Roman Catholic is lost. They're without Christ, without God, without hope in the world. And they also need to come to a saving faith in the Savior. Would you turn with me to the book of Revelation, please? Revelation chapter 10. We're going to read all of the chapter. chapter. There's only 11 verses. And then we're going to go to the book of Hosea and read a few verses. Revelation 10 verse 1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was upon his head and his face was as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book opened. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and all things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Will you turn with me to the prophet Hosea, please? You might say, well, how do I find that one? Well, you go to Ezekiel, to Daniel, then to Hosea. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea chapter 6, please. I'll get another drink while you're looking that up. Let's just read the first three verses. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His goings forth as prepared as the morning. And he shall come unto us as the rain. As the latter and former rain unto the earth. 
Let's pray. Father, we ask you in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would take your own divine inspired word and that you would wing it to every man and woman here listening live or later, that you would open blinded eyes. Lord, can we see the accuracy of your word, the punctuality of your prophetic scriptures in time and history. And we pray, O oh God, the Lord, are there be one here tonight, even here in this meeting, that knows not your Son as their own Lord and personal Savior. We pray, Father, wherever they have come from, wherever they have grown up in, we pray that they would come to a saving knowledge and a saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And may he alone be seen, exalted, and he alone glorified, because he alone is worthy of the praise, the honor, and the glory. We love you because you first loved us. Settle us and seal us in with thy Holy Ghost, we pray. For Jesus' name's sake, we ask it. Amen. Amen. In the prophecy of Hosea, chapter 6, Hosea is a prophet to the northern kingdom of the house of Israel. Israel being separated in 1 Kings chapter 11, 1 Kings chapter 12, you'll read of the Lord separating, especially in chapter 12, separates the kingdom in Israel and Judah. The two kingdoms go to be at war one with the other. And as they go to be at war one with the other, the Lord says to them not to fight one with another. And his words were, for this thing is of me. This separation is of me. And in these three verses, what we're going to firstly look at before we go to the book of Revelation is we're going to look at, first of all, we see God as our Father smiting Israel. Smiting And secondly, we see the Son uniting. And thirdly, we see the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, igniting. The Father is smiting, the Son uniting, the Holy Spirit igniting. First one says these words, Come, let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn. He hath separated the twelve tribes into two kingdoms, for he hath torn And he will heal us. How will he do that? Through the Son, the ministry of reconciliation and the gospel. Then it says, he hath smitten. Here's the Father smiting again. He will bind us up. How does he bind us up? Through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound up and we are reconciled to God in him. The word to bind here is the word kavah. Kavah means to be healed. He will be our healer. It also means to govern us. He will govern us together. But it gives the idea of a turban being wrapped around a head. A turban being wrapped around the head. For example, in the book of Jonah chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth enclosed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. The weeds were kavah, my head is the word. And it means the weeds were like a turban wrapped around my head. So the word here in uh, Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1, to bind, he will bind us. He will be like a turban, as it were, to wrap us all into one and to bring us together. How does that happen? It is in Christ and in Christ alone. In verse 2, Notice what he says, after two days. This is important. Israel is God's time clock. The prophecies of ancient Israel are still in effect and have been happening. And Israel here, these prophecies and time scales is God's time clock. After two days, he will revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his Now, notice this, after two days, after two days, he will revive us. So after this prophecy, after this word is given, what happened in two days' time, two literal days' time? 
Nothing. Nothing. What happened in the third day? Nothing. We know that the house of Israel were carried away captive. They were smitten, they were torn apart, and then the Lord allowed the Assyrians to take away the northern kingdom of Israel, and then the Babylonians to take away the southern kingdom of Israel. But how uh, does this come into force? Because nothing happened on the second nor the third day. These are prophetic days in the scripture. For example, the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, their final deportation, deportation pardon me, was in 676 BC. 676 BC. When we take 2,000 years for two days, we're going to look at it a little bit more. Stay with me. 676 BC brings us up to the year 1324 AD. Okay, 676 BC brings us to 1324 AD. And this is when the healing and the revival would start to come to pass. What happened in 1324 AD? John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation, was born. Just as God said, after the second day, and into the third now, the Reformation would start taking place in prophetic days. Notice this. I want to look and just show you these two days that I'm just not plucking it out of my head. For example, the first day, or pardon me, the second day would be the birth of John Wycliffe. The third day, we're told he'll start to raise us up. In Ezekiel chapter 37, we'll not go to it, but there's the valley of dry bones. And the dry bones are not skeletons of people, but bones just everywhere, a mass of them. And Ezekiel is asked, son of man, can these bones live? And he says, Lord, thou knowest. He says, prophesy unto the bones. Preach the word to the bones. Prophesy unto them. And that prophetic utterance from Hosea, that preaching of the healing and revival of it, it says to them, to the whole house of Israel, started to happen. The gospel went forth again, seeking the lost. And God started to raise them up again. They came together, bone to his bone. Flesh came upon them. Life entered into them. And we know that the Lord was raising them up. Notice that was into the third day. The word here, to revive. He will revive us. Gives the idea of breathing, the cause to be well from sickness. To cause to be well from sickness. Sin sickness had caused Israel to separate and be scattered, to be chastised and punished. And sin sickness in every one of us is what needs to be eradicated. How is it done? Through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He must We must be repentant of our sin and we must come to the foot of the old rugged cross by faith in Christ, trusting in him. And listen, it's when we come as believing that his full atoning work on the cross was once and for all and that it is more than sufficient, sufficient to cleanse us and to forgive us from all of our sins. To raise us up is the word cum. He will... It means to establish, to arise, to cause, to stand, to make one to become powerful. So the father had, he's smiting in verse 1. My son is uniting in verse 2. After two days, he will revive us. It's in Christ. Notice in Jeremiah chapter 16 and verse 16, the prophet says, Behold, the Lord says through him, I will send for, notice the term here, many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after will I send for hunters, notice fishers and hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. Fishers and hunters, to fish them and to hunt them. That's in Jeremiah 16, verse 16. And that's what the Lord said unto Israel through the prophets. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son coming with the ministry of reconciliation. And what does he say? He comes along the beach and he sees Peter and James and John and Andrew. And what does he say? Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. 
And the reason Christ came and said that is because he would then send them forth to bring that ministry of reconciliation found in Christ and through his blood alone. So now we're starting to see things taking shape and come into form. For example, also in the Revelation chapter 10, we'll look at it in a moment, but this angel that John sees, he's standing with one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. And here the Lord says, I will send forth fishers for the sea, hunters for the land. And so you can see the very picture starting to form as the Lord had prophesied it. So after two days, let's look at these two days for a moment. How do I get 2,000 years and how do we fit that in with this prophecy? Psalm 90 and verse 4 says, For a thousand years in thy sight are as but yesterday, when it is past and as a watch in the night. Notice, a thousand years in thy sight are as but yesterday. And then in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, Peter tells us, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So a day is like a thousand years. And people say, well, it just gives an idea of a length of time. Yes, it does, a thousand years. Because Peter is speaking about the second coming of Christ in his epistle in that chapter, verses following after that. So 1,000 years, one day. Here's something else to think about. In Luke chapter 10, we know the story of the man who is beaten up by the thieves on the road to Jericho. And that man who's beaten up, he's lying, bleeding and dying, as it were. And the priest comes and, and a Levite comes and they don't bother with him. And the Samaritan comes and lifts the man and pours in oil and wine to his wounds. And he puts him on his beast. And he takes him to the innkeeper and he leaves him with the innkeeper. And in Luke chapter 10 and verse 35, here's what he says. And on the morrow, when he departed... He took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. When I come again, I will repay thee. Jesus is speaking about his ascension into heaven and his second coming again. Two pence he gives representing something. Two days, two thousand years. For example, in Matthew chapter 20, And in verse 2, we have the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And the parable of the workers of the vineyard, we have them given a penny a day. So the parable workers are says, will you work for a penny a day? So one penny is for one day. Okay? Two pennies is for two days. When we go to the parable of the, the good Samaritan, he gives the innkeeper two pennies. Two pennies is two days. Thousand years for a day and a day for a thousand years, isn't that right? So you have two thousand years. Now let's look at this again. Six hundred and seventy six BC, two thousand years comes to thirteen twenty four AD. John Wycliffe, the morning stars, he's known of the Reformation, was born. God started to bring a healing process. God started to raise men up. For example, in 1369, Johann Huss, or John Huss as he's known, was born in Bohemia. John Huss's name means goose. John Huss was burned at the stake because he was, like an, early, he was an early reformer. And when John Huss was burned at the stake, it was said that your goose has been cooked. That's where the saying comes from, from John Huss. Your goose has been cooked. John Huss prophesied of the coming of Martin Luther. He prophesied, and I'm paraphrasing, saying, in around a hundred, about a hundred years there will come a swan whose voice you will not, and song you will not be able to turn away or stop the utterance. One hundred years and one hundred and one years later, Martin Luther came with his 95, pardon me, 102 years later, Martin Luther came with his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral in Germany. 
And he nailed the 95 theses after the Lord, revealing to him, the just shall live by faith. For example, in 1379, Jerome of Prague. Jerome was a theologian, and he followed John Huss, and then he went after the teachings of John Wycliffe. And when John Wycliffe was in England, he was in Oxford University, and he still practiced the Mass. And when he was in the university, they were getting progressive revelation. And when he was in the university, he wanted to take the riches of the church and give it to the poor. They had the, the Bible written in Latin and chained to the pulpit that no, people who were uneducated, in other words, the poor, couldn't read this Bible. And they couldn't take it home with them to read it like you have the Bible in your hands. Like when you come with your Bible under your arm to church, when you sit at home and open your Bible, they had no Bible. They couldn't read it. They had to believe what the Romish priests would tell them. And so they, it was chained to the pulpit. And the Lollards were formed then under John Wycliffe. And when they were formed, they went out preaching all over the country. He translated the scriptures into English that the Bible would be uh, spread and well known throughout England. So here we have the, uh, the word of the Lord saying, he will revive us after two days into the third day. Into the third day. I hope that's pretty clear for you this evening. The third day, briefly. The Holy Spirit igniting. The Holy Ghost came. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit opened the eyes of these reformers. Martin Luther. Holy Spirit showed them that the just shall live by faith. On these second and third prophetic days. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3 says, And he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain to the earth. Here's typified as the, holy, as the rain, the Holy Ghost is promised to be poured out upon the house of Israel. Notice, shall come to us as the rain, as the former and the latter rain to the earth. You have the Pentecostal, uh, a flame that comes in Acts chapter 2. And then we have a Reformation day chapter 2, and, or pardon me, day 2 and day 3. And then we have the, the blessings of the Holy Ghost throughout that time. And what's he doing? He's pouring in the oil and he's pouring in the wine. He's pouring out the blessing. And throughout the church history, he's starting to pour out upon many people. For example, we had the reformers and we had the Puritans and the Covenanters. We have the Evangelical Awakenings. We had the, the Wesley brothers. We had the, like, people like Whitfield and, and Spurgeon. And we had John Knox in Scotland. In 1589, we had the revival. In 1904, the Welsh revival. Men were raised up like, and women like William Carey was a missionary to India. Hudson Taylor to China. David Livingstone to Africa. Mary Slessor to Africa. British and foreign Bible societies. 95% of missionary work came from the United Kingdom and later on the United States of America. We had Christian reform in our country. The prison reform under Elizabeth Fry. William Wilberforce lobbies to free the slaves. Lord Shaftesbury stops child labor. Dr. Bernardo set up of child, children's homes. John Groom starts help for the disabled. And it goes on, goes on, and it goes on. We had revival and awakenings, the Holy Ghost, raising men and raising women to show Christ unto our nation and our people. After two days will he revive us. And the third day he will raise us up. And Britain became the great nation and company of nations, the commonwealth of nations, that it was prophesied unto Abraham that his seed would become. Britain arose to become the world's fourth And it established and became powerful. And it colonized and it brought forth health. Uh, and it brought forth hospitals. And, and it brought forth teaching. And it brought forth the English language, which is now taught around the world. And it was, 
yes, there were some wrong things that were done, and I understand that. I wouldn't stand by that for one minute. But generally, it was to make way for the missionaries went forth with this book. This book is the authorized King James Bible I hold in my hand. And this book, this translation, is the book that changed the world. This is the one placed in our hands that we're going to read about in a minute in Revelation chapter 10. We give God the glory for all that he has done in our lives and in our very nation. We revived from our sickness and we became strong. Do you know what's wrong today with the United Kingdom and Ireland, the United States of America, in Canada, do you know what's wrong today? We have come away from the book that changed the world. We have thrown God out of every aspect of society. And we have turned him away from our schools, from our colleges. We've turned him away from our want of learning and living. And we have turned our back on the Lord God of Israel. Notice here, he started to raise us up. Will you turn with me please to Revelation chapter 10 now? So we have looked at that time scale in scripture and it brings us to Revelation chapter 10. Before we read any further in it, let me read this out to you from the end of Hosea's second day of the prophecy in 1324 AD. John Wycliffe produces the first, pardon me, is born, and he produces in his life the first translation of the Bible in English from Latin. John Huss from, and Jerome of Prague are raised up in Bohemia. Bohemia, by the way, is uh, where the Czech Republic is today. If you've been to Prague, you'll see the big statue of John Huss in the square there. And it's still there. I don't think they really think much of it today, but it's still there in the square. His bedroom's there, and the room where he studied is there. I've been in it. I've sat there, and there's wee window ledge and all where he used to sit. And his church is there, but it's just like, you wouldn't even know it's there anymore. It's just like a hall, and they've more or less took the whole inside of it out. And it's an old wooden hall, and they have the front of his pulpit stuck to the wall just... That's all's left of his memory in many ways there. In 1453, the flight of the Greek scholars from uh, the east into Western Europe, from Constantinople, bringing the knowledge of the Greek. In 1454, we had the invention of printing in Germany and in Holland. In 1458, the Greek language was first taught in the in European universities. In 1476, Caxton introduced printing to England. In 1516, Erasmus printed his first Greek New Testament. In 1517, of course, Martin Luther on the 31st of October nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral. In 1518, Holdrich Swingley printed the first Swiss New Testament. In 1522, Luther's New Testament was printed in German. In 1526, William Tyndale's English New Testament and the Swedish Bible were printed. In 1537, Matthew's English Bible and the Danish Bible were printed. Now, William Tyndale, when he was being martyred and murdered, he was strangled and burned. And, they, and he prayed before he died, Lord, open thou the king of England's eyes. That was in 1536. In 1539, three years later, a day for a year prophetically as well, three days later, three years later, Henry VIII ordered the great Bible to be placed in every church in England by royal command that men might have it in their hands. Who says there's no prophetic utterance 
Who says there's no prophetic utterance? Ask John Huss, prophesied of Luther. Ask William Tyndale, who prayed prophetically for the Bible to be placed, that the King of England's eyes would be open. Henry VIII ordered a Bible into every church in 1539. So here now in Revelation chapter 10 is where this brings us to. Notice what it says in verse 1. Chapter 10 verse 1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. The mighty angel come down from heaven. Please don't get me wrong. I need you to listen to this. This mighty angel, vision of an angel here, represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord Jesus is not an angel, a created being. He is eternal. He is the word of the Father, and he is the Son of God. But here he is shown that he is an angel or an angelic appearance. For example, in Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 and 21, the Lord said this to Moses for Israel. Behold, I send an angel, and it'll be a capital A if you look at it up. Angels can be with a small a. This is a capital A, speaking of the person of Christ. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way. And to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Notice, beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. Notice this. For my name is in him. For my name is in him. Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel. He says, my name is his name. It's in him. The Lord Jesus is Yahshua. Yah, Yahweh, Shua. He is Yah saves, Jehovah's Savior. Notice here, for example, in John chapter 17, and verse 6, the Lord Jesus says when he's praying to his Father, I have manifested thy name. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Again, in verse 12 of the same chapter, he says, I have kept them in thy name. And in verse 26, he says in the same chapter, I have declared unto them thy name. The Lord Jesus Christ is eternal, brothers and sisters. Notice in verse 1, this mighty angel, five quick identifying points for you. First of all, This identifying angel, as we say, was called with the name of God. Then he's clothed with a cloud. Clothed with a cloud. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, the risen ascended Lord Jesus, as he's being taken up from the Mount of Olives. The disciples are there and those men appear in white. Those angelic beings are in white. And they say, ye men of Israel, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Listen, This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come again in like manner as ye have seen him out of heaven. So here he's taken up, it says, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Notice a cloud received him. May not, we we think of clouds, the fluffy white things. There's many times this could be angelic presence. It's not always just a big white fluffy cloud. But nevertheless, a cloud received him out of their sight. In Revelation chapter 1 and in verse 7, it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds. This is the second coming of Christ. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see him. And then in Revelation 14, chapter 14, and in verse 14, it says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, And upon the cloud, one that sat like unto, notice the Son of Man. Here is our risen, ascended, glorified Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in his humanity, the Son of Man. And it says, having on his head a golden crown, 
and in his hand a sharp sickle. And if you'll turn with me to the book of Daniel, please. The book of Daniel, chapter 7. And notice what Daniel writes. Verse 9, And I beheld the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. And I beheld, I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. And I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed. Even given as unto the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Daniel sees the end time judgment of the one who's coming to judge. Now notice this. And I saw in the night visions, behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him, and there was given unto him dominion and glory and the kingdom, and that all people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. What did Daniel see? He saw the end time punishment, the end time judgment, and he saw the coming Christ. He saw him ruling and he saw him reigning. And remember, if you're in the town hall or you've been in the times, I told you the book of Daniel is closed up. And the book of Revelation is opened up. And what Daniel saw, the Son of Man coming in the clouds to the Ancient of Days, that is the Lord Jesus to his Father to receive the kingdom. Shut it up. It's not for now. And then by the time Revelation comes, he says, open it up. And what does he see? He says, sees then in Revelation 14 and 14, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud sat one like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Thirdly, a rainbow was upon his head. A rainbow was upon his head. The rainbow represents the likeness of the glory of the Lord upon his throne. I want to say it again to you, because the rainbow has been stolen. The rainbow has been stolen. The rainbow is as the likeness of the glory of the Lord upon his throne. We always say the rainbow is the promise to Noah. We all know that, and that's true. Sets his bow in the sky for after the great deluge of the water and the flood. He says, I'll set my bow in the sky. And we can, we understand that and we believe that. But the rainbow represents the likeness of the glory of the Lord upon his throne. I wonder what is really behind the spirit that takes his rainbow. What is the spirit behind that that takes his rainbow? Revelation Chapter 4, please, if you'll look at it. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Note that hereafter, because they're happening in John's day, not happening away in the future. He says they're happening from now, John. Hence, the history through the book of Revelation. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a, like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne. Notice there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting 
clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, that doesn't mean to say God has seven holy spirits. God is a spirit. It gives the idea of a perfection of attributes of God and his spirit. But we dealt with it before, and the pastor here dealt with it not so long ago. We can deal with that another time. Notice there's a rainbow was round about his throne. The rainbow was a sign of the likeness of the glory of God. I wonder who's trying to rob God of his glory. If you were to read Ezekiel, we're not turned to it tonight for time's sake. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, you'll see that rainbow again. Fourthly, let's go back to Revelation 10, please. I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. Notice he's from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face were as it were the sun. His face were as it were the sun. If you remember in Matthew chapter 17, the Lord Jesus, he takes up with him Peter and James and John up the mount of what's known as the Mount of Transfiguration because he's transfigured before them. And his clothes are glistering, it says. And it says his face shines brighter than the sun in the strength of noonday. His face shines brighter than the sun. Who did John see here? He saw the one that he saw in Matthew 17 up the mount. John is looking at the exact same one, only glorified through the Spirit and in vision. And he sees the Lord Jesus Christ, his face, whereas it were the sun. Revelation chapter 1, please, let's look at it. Revelation chapter 1. And let your eyes just run down, please. Verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Here he is again clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle his head and his hairs were white like wool as white as snow and his eyes were as a flame of fire and his feet like unto fine brass as they burned in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters and he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Do you see that? So here the Bible interprets the Bible. The Word of God will always interpret the Word of God. And so the Lord is showing John here, the the same one he saw in Revelation 1, it's the same one he's seeing in Revelation chapter 10. I'm just building a case for this with you. And then if you look again at Revelation chapter 10, And his face were, was, as it were, the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And we just read there in Revelation 1 and 15 that his feet were like on the fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. Can you see John seeing the same one again? The one that John saw on the mount with his face shining like the sun is the one that he sees in Revelation chapter 1. Is the same one that he sees in Revelation chapter 10. He sees Christ the whole way through it. He sees him the whole way through the vision. He sees him the whole way through history. He sees him in heaven. He sees him standing between heaven and earth. He sees him as Lord and as God, omnipotent over all. And he sees him as the Lamb of God. He sees him as the Lamb of God who died in Calvary's tree who shed his precious blood for you and for me that we might be saved, that we might be forgiven. Will you turn with me to Isaiah 63, please? Isaiah 63. And let's read from verse 1. Who is he that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? That this that is glorious in apparel, traveling with in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness 
mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. Notice his feet. I will tread them. Feet. I will trample them. It's feet. In my fury. Their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. And I will stain all my arraignment. And notice brothers and sisters. Let's just read the next couple of verses. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart. And the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me. And my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury. And I will bring down their strength to the earth. What feet? The feet of brass speaks of God's wrath and judgment. The feet that tramples. What is the blood? That's not his own blood, by the way. It's the blood of those he slays. The blood of those he slays. I love verse 7. I will mention loving kindness, the loving kindness of the Lord, and the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord hath bestowed upon us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies, and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. For he said, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So He was, what does it say? Their saviour. Who is speaking here but Christ alone? Who can do this but Christ alone? Who has done it but Christ alone? Who has died for us but Christ alone? Who has risen again but Christ alone? Who has ascended but Christ alone? Who stands in the glory but Christ alone? And who is coming again but Christ and Christ alone? Oh, what a saviour. What a saviour. In Revelation chapter 10, please. I'm coming to a close soon. And he had in his hand, pardon me, 10 and verse 2. And he had in his hand a little book opened. And he had in his hand a little book Opened. Let your eye run down to verse 8. The voice said, which I heard from heaven, spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is opened in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. So I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. And it shall be, it shall make thy belly bitter but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. So I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. As soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. This little book opened one foot on the sea, one foot on the earth, hunters and fishers. One hand to heaven, he comes down. You know what he's saying? He is the only way. Between the man of earth, fallen, depraved humanity on earth, the only one who can ever reach or touch heaven. He's the one who's come down. He's Jacob's ladder. He's Jacob's ladder upon whom the angels of God are ascending and descending. And when Jacob looked at the ladder, the Lord God was standing at the top of the ladder. Now he says, I have come down from the ladder and I have won the Lord God and I have died in your place and I have shed my blood and now I'm the Lord God over all things. That's the Christ we serve. That's the Jesus we love. That's the Savior who's redeemed us. He stands between heaven and earth with one hand to heaven and one foot in the sea and one foot on the land. Over earth and sea he rules and reigns and over earth and sea the gospel would go forth. The little book was the open Bible. Whenever he says, I will revive them in the third day. Oh, brothers and sisters, the third day 
He started to bind us up, sending out the gospel, sending out the printing of the word, sending out men who would preach without fear or favor. Oh, 50 to 100 millions of them dying at a pippy stake that they may be burned for saying that the just shall live by faith in Christ alone. Oh, 50 millions and more that were slaughtered, that were poured into the rivers. The women had their bellies opened and their very babies taken out. Because they stood for the faith. All Christians today. Can't get out of bed this morning. I was too tired. Come on, wise up, brother. Come on, get a grip, sister. They went to the stake. They were burned in the fire. They were put into the river ban. Just outside of us here. There's one story of a young woman who was pregnant. She was brought. Her name just slips my mind. And I'm sorry that dear lady, I can't remember her name. And she was tied to the stake because she wouldn't bow to the mass. And as she was starting to burn, she was heavily pregnant. And because they were starting to light one side of the fire, the, the, the baby came. And she had the baby in the, uh, before the fire got there. And someone came and rescued the baby. And they took it off her and they threw the baby back in the fire. Brothers and sisters, God said, this word is from heaven, has come down to earth, and there's none other but this one, the one we've seen whose face is like the sun, whose garments are white, who's died dipping in the blood of those who reject him, whose feet are like brass, who's coming in fiery flames of judgment. This is the one who's coming for the unsaved. It doesn't matter if you're a Catholic or a Protestant or who you are. He's coming and he's coming and he's going to judge every man and woman. A little book open was our open Bible. Prophesied. Prophesied. Hundreds of years before it even happened. I'm going to close saying thank you for your attention. John is instructed to take the little book, to eat it up. He said it was sweet to the taste and bitter to the belly. And then the Lord says in Revelation 10 and 11, Thou must prophesy again to many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. But John didn't actually do that. He pastored in Ephesus and he wrote letters and that's preached to us. But the Lord says, if you take this, John, write it down and tell it abroad and leave it up to me. And he raised up men that would go forth, holding forth, as Paul says, the word of life. Listen, when you read that, It doesn't tell you you need someone else to forgive you your sin. It doesn't tell you that a pastor or a priest can forgive you your sin. This word doesn't tell you that a mass is needed to have an unbloodied sacrifice every every week or so many times a week. It tells you that Christ died once for all. Centered in heaven. John sees the, the thousands, time ten thousands and thousands and thousands. John sees the beasts around the throne. John sees the rainbow and the, one, the ones that are around it who are worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees the glory of heaven. He sees the wonder and the splendor. He mentions gold and streets and pearly gates and names of the tribes of Israel and of the apostles of the Lamb. And he sees all of it in the crystal river and the tree of life. But when he looks at it all, he doesn't dwell on it because in the center is Christ. He sees the Lamb on the throne. He sees the one who shed his blood. Shed his blood and died for you. There's none other worthy of the praise. There's none other worthy of the glory for none other. Took our sin in his own body on the tree. 
took a rotten, filthy, guilty, hell-deserving sinner like this man. He took me from the dunghill to set me among princes. I'm finishing with this, thank you. Jeremiah 15 and 16, he's told to eat the words. He says, thy words were found and I did eat them. He didn't say I tasted them. John seen the little book open and he went and asked for it. Do you know just last night, in fact, I never even got to tell Alison this, just last night, I got a message from someone who's seen, it was actually just a simple quote online about Christ. <laughs> Note the said, the message means says, help me, I want to know Jesus to go and follow him. Amen. And I led him to Christ by a text. I led them to Christ by text. I didn't say you need to go around and do the ritual. You need to get the ceremony and make sure you're wearing your proper, your proper hat and it's tilted the right direction. And I, said, and I didn't say make sure you're doing this and that and the other and you're setting it all in place. And then when you're finished that, go over to your priest and make sure he blesses you with some sort of holy water. I says, come in repentance to Christ. Glory. Christ alone. Amen. They came back and they said, I have. Thank you so much. Jeremiah says, I had it. Then say, I tasted it. John says, I went and asked for it. Give me the book. I've lost the hunger for the word. You see, churches are, are so used to having ear-tickling sermons. They're so used to the claps in the back and the there, 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 dear, bless you. Have a, a hundred ways to have a blessed life today. I'll teach you how to get your big jet airplane and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a million ways that you can better yourself in life. All good, if you can manage it, that's fine. I have nothing wrong with that. But listen, not at the expense of the gospel. That's right. That's right. I'm saying this and I'm closing. I went to see an evangelist not so long ago. I said nothing. I came out of the meeting and all these people wasn't that brilliant. And I just went over and got into my car and went home. He never mentioned the blood once. Never mentioned the cross once. He never mentioned sin once. He never mentioned repentance once. He never mentioned it once. He's calling people up, if you want a wee bit of help from the Lord, come up. See how many people get saved now? That's what he says. He says, God forgive you. There's people all drop into hell. That's right. They'll drop into hell because of it. That's right. And the blood will be in those men's skirts. That's right. Brothers and sisters, there's men, especially in I was going to say Pentecostal circles, they're not Pentecostal, they're charismatic, they're ecumenical. Right. And what they're saying is this is that the Reformation was a spirit of division. And they're saying that the Reformation was not of God. And they're saying that the Reformation, uh, uh, that it was uh, a spirit of bitterness. Let me tell you something, brother. See, according to that there, it's like the Lord separated the house of the two houses of Israel into two houses. Nobody said, this thing is of me. Amen. This thing is of me. The Reformation was calling men from darkness unto light. And now the men that were called out to preach the light are now preaching darkness. The men in the many Protestant so-called pulpits are preaching the exact same stuff, entering in again to the exact same thing. They're having ecumenical services doing the exact same movements and, and they're going round and round in circles and they'll die without Christ and they'll bring many, many with them. That's right. That's right. Now none but Christ can satisfy. Amen. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. Oh, brothers and sisters, Christ in this house deserves the glory, and he alone will get the glory, because Christ alone is worthy of all the glory and the honor in this house and in this place. Uh, let's raise a praise unto him. Give him the glory, for he deserves the glory. Hallelujah. Oh, but to love him, to love him 
One old Puritan says for Christ, it's like leaving a trifle. And to leave Christ, he says, like leaving a trifle is to leave the world. But when you come to Christ, Christ in the slenderest of portions satisfies the fulfillment of every heart. The slenderest portion of Christ in the life is enough to take a man and a woman into eternity. Into heaven. And there's glory. But do you know him? But do you know him? Listen, if this word can tell us all that about a book, his word, hundreds of years, about a people that he'll call, about a son that will come and redeem us by dying for us. If he can be so accurate in the word of God, if the Holy Ghost can pinpoint it right down to the day, a man would be born as a baby, not only in Bethlehem, but another to rewrite the book. If it can be so accurate, here's what the Bible says to you tonight. You must uh, be born again. You must be born again. You must be born again. Didn't say you must be a Protestant and going and standing uh, uh, with a blue bag of alcohol and and shouting, uh, uh, kick the Pope and we're we're smoking the dope and kicking the Pope and living in a proddy wonderland and you don't know Christ, you'll die without Christ and go to hell. You'll die without Christ and go to hell, friend. You stand at all the parades you want, unsaved and unregenerate, not knowing Him, and you'll die and go to hell. But you can know Him. But you can know Him. And you can love Him. And you can serve Him. And there's coming a day when He returns. We shall see Him. Face to face. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Team, would you come up, please?